Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. How y'all doing? Uh, We are continuing on along in our legal month, and this week I have with me a very special guest, Sean Lehman. Sean is the host of the Divorce and Your Money podcast. He's also the author of the book, Divorce and Your Money, How to Avoid Costly Divorce Mistakes, which I highly, highly, highly recommend everyone uh, get. Um, And uh, he is an MBA, a certified divorce financial analyst. And we have a really great discussion today about, uh, well, divorce and your money. (laughs) Um, And one of the things I love about Sean is, um, you know, when I talk to women and I hear all the time women saying, you know, well, I've been a stay at home mom and um, I haven't had any money of my own and I have basically no financial agency. Um, Sean was the very first person that I knew I had to book as a guest to talk about this topic and how women can start to empower themselves financially, even if you have had no financial power uh, in your marriage, even if you haven't had a job in 10 or 20 years, um, there are things you can do. You are not stuck. Now, you know, the reality is that for many of us, um, especially women, especially women who have been stay-at-home moms, we um, we can be really financially disempowered and the systems are really set up to work against us. And it can be harder. It can definitely be harder for us to dig ourselves out of that hole. Um, as I always say, you know, when we make the choice to become a stay-at-home mom, we think that it is that we are making an investment. We think that we're entering into a joint venture with our spouses, with our husbands. Um, but the return on that investment is really, really, really not equal. Generally speaking, uh, men's standards of living increase by, this is, these are some numbers that were, I can't remember who, but where these stats came from. I think it was, there was, it was federal that, that men's standard of living increases by 10% uh, in divorce and women's standard of living decreases by 27% in divorce. So these are real issues that we come up against and they are systemic and they are biased against women for sure. The entire system is, we know this. And that doesn't mean that you're shit out of luck. It doesn't mean that you're stuck forever. It doesn't mean that there aren't answers and things that you can do. And Sean is a tremendous resource for all of us and for all of you in uh, how to figure those things out. So without further ado, here is my interview with Sean Lehman. Sean, thank you so much for joining us on the Divorce Survival Guide podcast to talk about 
money, 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 <laughs> uh, particularly Divorce and Your Money, which is the name of your book, which is pretty awesome. Thank you for having me. That's right. Yeah, I, I uh, wanted to have a book dedicated just to all of the financial complexities in divorce. And there's a lot. There's a lot that people know, obviously, but there's also a lot of things in divorce situations that are unique when it comes to finances and a lot of considerations that people might not even yeah. know to ask. And so the goal is to educate and inform and make sure that when you are facing a divorce situation, you can make the smartest financial decisions for you. Because as I like to say, the decisions you make during the time of your divorce won't just affect you uh, the year after you get divorced, they could affect you for the rest of your life. And so I think it's very important to be informed on all the considerations uh, that are involved. It's so true. I always say that, you know, you're making the biggest legal and financial decisions of your life in the midst of the biggest emotional upheaval of your life. And it's a terrible combination. So I sort of work on the emotional side to help people process through the emotional side before they make the legal and financial decisions, ideally. But you're right. Those, those decisions last a lifetime. They really do. They have lasting impact. And it's so important. You know, I think the one thing I love about your book is that it is so detailed. It sort of covers almost every eventuality and every base that you can, that you can sort of think of, right. But also that you can, you know, there's a lot of state to state variables that you point out, right. You say like, well, you know, Google it for your state because you can't cover all of that, but you've got, it's great. So I highly recommend this, you guys, for everybody who's listening. And, but one of the things that, that we're really, you know, a lot of the questions that I get about finances are for women who are in, in marriages that they really want to get out of, but they feel financially trapped. They're financially stuck. They literally don't know how they can ever support themselves if they've been stay-at-home moms, or even if they're, even if they're not stay-at-home moms, mostly they are, but they are financially constrained in, in their marriages. So what do you say to them? Sean, what's the, what's their first step? I mean, I know that's a lot. That's a big question. Yeah, there, there's there's <laughs> a lot. I mean, no, no. I mean, that's that's uh, it's it's a very good question, in part because that's a lot of the approach that I write the book from. Is hey, I'm going to assume. You know, I work with all sorts of people. Of course, I work with lots of stay-at-home moms. I work with business owners. I work with entrepreneurs, but. The book's perspective is let's make finance as easy as we can, given it's a complicated subject. And assuming you don't know anything, what should you know? Right. And for someone who's a stay-at-home mom, of course, there are millions of different things that they should be thinking about. One of the places I like to find or I think of as helpful is I like to think about the goal. And so the goal is, what's your life going to look like afterwards? Let's forget the divorce intricacies for a moment, but what does the future hold? Where are you going to live? Where do you want to live? You know, some, a lot of people might not even want to stay in the same state, and that may or may not be feasible, but you know, it's something to think about. Do you want to live in an apartment? Do you want to live in a home? Do you want to stay in the same place? What kind of car are you going to drive? Are you, you know, if you're younger, if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, you're probably going to have to work. 
Um, and if you haven't worked before, even if you're late 50s, you still might have to plan for five or 10 years of working. What does that look like? I know you're not going to necessarily have a million dollar career that you can jump into, but there's lots of, I like to say, just start at the end and mm-hmm. figure out what does this life look like? And then from there, at least what do you want it to look like? And then from there, we can start and fill in all right, well, what does that mean from a financial perspective? What does that mean from a divorce perspective? What does, I mean, can you afford your lifestyle? Do we need to make adjustments? But if you don't have a good feel for the, or at least start formulating what this looks like when it's all over, it's very hard to make any kind of financial decision, good, bad, in between, and even get the appropriate legal help when you're talking to your lawyer, because no one knows what we're aiming for. Right. And it, and you know, and there's, there's a difference between like what you want it to look like, right. And what it's actually gonna look like. Right. So we can have this sort of pie in the sky ideal of like, I want to live in a house and I want to drive an Audi and I want to, you know, and the fact of the matter is if, if the money's not there, the money's not there. Right. Like you may. And I think that it's, it's a reality that many people in particular women we have to be more realistic and we have to take a step back and our lifestyle, you know, there's that whole thing about, you know, being the lifestyle to which you're accustomed, right. Which is like a phrase that's in the support language somewhere. Right. It's like, well, if the money doesn't exist, you don't actually get to continue to live the life that to which you're accustomed. If the money doesn't exist to support that. Yeah, uh, that's right on. And so the, one of the top, steps, I won't necessarily say it's number one, but in my top five things that I encourage everyone to do, particularly if you're a stay-at-home mom or or stay-at-home parent is figure out what your expenses are going to look like. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's take that, that vision one step further. How much do you spend a month? I know people who spend a few thousand dollars a month. I know people and I work with people who spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a month and everywhere in between. And, um, you would be surprised. Uh, you know, money money has a way of, of when you have a lot of it, you can spend a lot of it. It just, it just does. But uh, once you figure out what that baseline is of what your lifestyle is like and what it costs, it becomes relatively, I won't say it's easy, but it's easy for me. But once you know what things cost, what your mortgage or rent is going to be, how much your car payment is, how much health insurance is going to be, how much, you know, if you have kids who are in school, if they go to public school, or if there's private school tuition, or if you're planning for college, you know, how much you travel, once you start figuring out, well, what these things look like, it becomes almost easy to know if you're going to have enough money or not when this is all said and done. Yeah. The problem is, is most people have no idea how much they spend on a regular basis. And it's a lot more yeah. than you think, regardless of your wealth level. I mean, it really is. I know that, you know, when I, when I get really diligent and I have been lately, right, about what my expenses actually are, not what I think they are, <laughs> right, but what they actually are. And that's a difference between creating a budget and a spending plan, right? Like, a budget, there's something that's sort of idealized about a budget, right? Like, well, I'd ideally like to spend this much. But when you have a spending plan, which is based on reality, you know, which is often based on, all right, track your expenses for three months, right? Track them, like, really, don't 
don't change anything, but just track for three months what your spending is, right? Then you're creating something that's more realistic and more, well, realistic, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Actually based in reality. And then you can look at those numbers and be like, wow, I can't believe I spend that much at Starbucks. Okay. Right. Like then I, then you can make adjustments from there, but you can't be like, I can't believe I spend that much on my rent. (laughs) It's like, well, (laughs) that's not really negotiable. Right. Yeah, or, exactly. Or, and where can you cut back? Right. Right. Cause you can cut back on Starbucks. You probably can't cut back on rent. Or if this is, if, or if you're looking for what your future is going to hold, then you might look at it and be like, wow, I need to move to a cheaper neighborhood right? right. <laughs> or a less expensive right. state if possible. Right. Which is not always possible. Certainly in divorce. But no, I think, I think you're right on. Um, it's one of my, I have a lot of checklists in the book for that reason as well. But I think once you get a better picture for your expenses, and I I spend a lot of time thinking about and talking about expenses with people for that very reason is most people just don't know. It's hard to figure out. Even yesterday I was like, Oh, you know what? I, I I read a lot of books and and my books are all over the place. And I was like, you know, I'm gonna get a self-storage unit to uh, just a small one, whatever the cheapest one there is to store my books because <laughs> they're just taking up too much space. And I went and I was looking online. It was $30 a month for, for a tiny, super tiny self-storage unit. Right. And I got to thinking and I was like, well, at $30 a month, I think about everything on, on five-year periods. You know, $30 a month, that's $360 a year times five. And I was like, well, my books aren't worth that much. Like I could probably rebuy every <laughs> book by the time I'm, I've, I've spent that on the self-storage unit. But the point being is I've gotten hyper-conscious about my own expenses just from, from helping others because all of a sudden you realize, well, I can save 360 or a few thousand bucks a year just by not making this quick decision mm-hmm. I was thinking about and, and use it for who cares what? Well, but, it would be cheaper to buy, like to have someone install, like, you know, built in, book, yeah. a built in bookcase, right. Would be cheaper. Totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And we often don't think of, I love that about thinking about that in five years. Like I always think about things in one, but five is like, Ooh, Ooh. Right. That's a, what was the last time you canceled a subscription? I mean, if you're doing something every month, most of the time, you know, that Netflix, even though it's 10, 11, whatever it is a month, you know, it, it's not going away. It's a necessary so expense. Job. It adds up. That's a necessary. Yeah, hey, I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's bad. You know, I have it too, but it adds up. It adds up. We're, uh, and so we're recording you know, this I, during coronavirus, y'all. This, this is true. <laughs> so, is like- but it does add up over time, and and you have to think. I mean, even though it's a small expense, I do think about every dollar for, for that reason. Um, because you know, it can, they they all add up. Yeah, they do. And it's really, it's really important. You have a great top 10 list in your, in your book. First of all, you're right. You do have a ton of checklists in your book. I want to go back to that. You really do. And that's, that's really awesome. What are some of the checklists that you have? Like the expenses checklist, that's pretty, that's a great checklist. Cause it's a reminder of like where the money's like where things might be hiding that you're not thinking of. Expenses is one of my favorites. And then the other one of my favorites is just your financial documentation yes. uh, that you might need in a divorce context. And it's long. Uh, it's yeah. a very long and detailed list of things you might need from 
some of the basics being tax returns or, or credit statements, but even loan applications or wage statements from you or your spouse, retirement account statements, you know, mortgage, sta- you know, there, there's just many dozens, unfortunately, or fortunately of financial documentation you may need when it comes to the divorce situation. And, you know, we're talking about kind of the top 10 list. Well, one of my top 10s, particularly for a stay-at-home mom, would be to get organized. Mm -hmm. And the reason that's so important is that if you are the stay-at-home parent and you haven't necessarily, you know, some stay-at-home parents actually manage the finances, some don't, just really Mm -hmm. depends on, on the couple. But if you don't have the financial information or you don't have it organized, it makes the process much, much more complicated. And if and you don't have access to it, that's a big problem. Yes. Big yes. problem. And what's interesting, you know, we're talking about coronavirus and we're all stuck together. Well, one of the tricks that you can do is sort of plan for an emergency is, hey, if you're stuck with your spouse all day in a non-ideal situation, well, if you do some emergency planning, hey, what happens if something were to happen one, to one of us? All of a sudden, all of those accounts you need to start, well, you need to contact this broker for this account. This is how you get access to the retirement account. Here's how we would ha- handle the healthcare things, the basic estate planning, which is something you should be doing anyways, but now given you know health concerns and otherwise gives you an extra good excuse to do a little bit more of that. Yeah. That's one of the ways to start trying to get a picture of what do we have and where might it be? That's actually a great point, right? If you if you're if you're considering divorce and you haven't sort of let the cat out of the bag yet and you're doing your due diligence beforehand, right? One of the ways to broach the subject is through estate planning, right? <laughs> what are we it's actually I mean, if if you're dealing with someone who's sneaky and you don't know that you can trust them, you can kind of be sneaky right back and it's it's being strategic. It's being smart. Oh, for sure. And and you know, I I talk to a lot of people who are at least a year or two or three, maybe even five years before they're they're getting uh, divorced, but they know it's on the you know there's there's family considerations mm-hmm. and job considerations. There's a lot of reasons that that you don't rush into uh, many reasons that you wouldn't rush into a divorce. But uh, that's one of the the things that I tell them is is hey, it's time to. To start getting organized, start figuring out, you know, keep an eye out for the mail. If you ever see mail from some sort of financial institution, email or physical, yep. that's very important. You might not be able to open it and take a picture of it because that would arouse a bunch of suspicion. But if you know that there is a Charles Schwab account statement that comes in the mail every month, well, make a note. It's like, hey, there's a Schwab account and we need to ask about it later. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you know there's a pension plan or a retirement account or uh, whatever the case may be between estate planning and then you know just planning for, for an emergency. And there's many ways you can bring that up under the guise of you know just given everything going on, I want to make sure the family's protected to just your personal, I don't want to call it snooping, but being attentive to what's coming in. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you can... I, I found that the vast majority of people I've ever talked to have a much better picture of their financial circumstances than they realize once they start uh, watching out for things. I mean, you're not necessarily going to know the answers to everything, but 
just being attentive when the divorce process starts, whenever that is, at least you know what to ask for, yes. which is almost as valuable as, as uh, having the information yourself. Yeah. And, uh, and your checklists are really helpful with that because I think that your financial documents checklist gives like, there's things in there that are not necessarily the things that you would be thinking of off the bat, like you said, like tax returns or things like that, right? Of course, those are, those are, but there's other things in there that are really important. And people are constantly asking for these checklists. People are constantly saying like, where's a good checklist for this, for that? You guys, it's in Sean's book. (laughs) So, which of course will be linked in the show notes. So let's go into this, your top 10 must follow divorce tips. Because I think Perfect. they're really they're really awesome. So the first one is face reality head on. Yeah, you know it's it's one of those things where you started the show talking about this, and I I thought it's a very good way to uh, introduce the subject in that you handle the emotional considerations really well, and that's really the start is. You, you laid it up pretty nicely when you said this is one of the biggest you know, financial transactions and legal transactions you're going to go through. I always say is, is hey, you got to treat this as a business deal and understand that it's happening. Um, you can't bury your head in the sand. It doesn't mean it's going to be pleasant. It doesn't mean it's going to be fun. You don't have to like it, but it's going on whether you dictate this process or your spouse does. And you need to work out all of the myriad of emotions that are attached to that because when it comes to this legal financial business deal that you're making, Mm -hmm. you need to make them as a business person would. Um, And that is look at the numbers, look at the facts and try and make the best judgment for, to to get you in the best position possible when it's over. But when you're overwhelmed with the emotional aspect and your mind is cloudy or foggy or, you know, there's, there's any number of things that I'm sure you're, you're much more well-versed on than, than I am. It it makes it very hard to do the other stuff. And so when it comes to the money, I always say like, look, I'm not here to help you with the emotions. I'll listen. But when it comes to our financial picture, set all that stuff aside and let's just look at what is here and let's just make the best decisions given the facts. Right. And go from that perspective. And you can send them to me to process their emotions. Of course. So that they will be better (laughs) able to work with you to deal with the business transaction. It's perfect. Exactly. This is perfect. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So number two is know you got this. Yeah. Another really important point is, um, and I actually keep uh, every now and then a client will send me, I mean, I get email reviews that are positive or electronic ones, but I have on my desk, just a few feet away from me, I have uh, handwritten letters from people who have have gone through, worked with through the divorce process. And even in the absolute worst of times and the bottom of this process, and particularly at the beginning or when you're just just starting to feel it or, or when you get that nasty letter from your spouse's attorney that says this or that that upsets you and, and brings you back or your spouse says something, it's going to end Mm. and it might not feel like it and it might not be a quick process, but everyone I know has made it through the process. They're all still living, breathing, thriving people. It wasn't necessarily easy, but that's okay. Life's not easy all the time and you will get through it and just know that even though it can feel 
overwhelming in the moment, you know, you wake up the next day and you're still, you're still here, sun still rises and you'll be living a, a new life in due time. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's always important to keep that context in mind, even if given hour or, or given day, you know, you don't want to move. Right. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. And, you know, most, a majority of the women probably listening to this podcast right now um, have been through labor. <laughs> you know, it's the same damn thing. It sucks, but it will be over. At some point, that baby's going to come out. <laughs> At some point, you'll be on the other side of this divorce process. And, and I think that, I think that, you know, to add to that too, Sean, is, you know, you want to look back on it and know that you went through it with the, with your integrity intact. And I always talk about keeping your side of the street clean, right? And that, you know, as long as you can maintain your own integrity and know that despite all the crazy shitstorm that might be swirling around you or coming at you, right, that you actually went through this with a clear head and a clear mind and an open heart and that you kept your side of the street clean. Once you get to that other side, it's going to be, it's going to feel good, right? You don't want to get to that other side and feel regret or like you, shit, I was an asshole or right. And there are going to be moments of that throughout, of course, but you do want to be able to get to the other side feeling like you feeling good about yourself and how you handled it. That's right. And knowing that you did what you needed to do or the best you could have done given the circumstances. I I don't know. Very few people are happy with their settlement or the outcome or uh, having to go through this process. But if you put your best effort forward, at least you've done that. And the outcome's never guaranteed, but you can do your best to, to put the odds in your favor so that you can be successful afterwards. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Number three, I think this is like maybe, maybe the most important, right? Or maybe, I don't know. We'll go through them. We'll then we'll (laughs) rank them. (laughs) But number three is, as you said before, get organized. One of the most important things I think is, is so if you can create a binder, take an afternoon or several afternoons, and it's really gathering up as much documentation, financial and otherwise, as you can. The thing you have to think about from our context or or from a financial advisor perspective or an attorney perspective is the people who are helping you have to get up to speed on the last 5, 10, 40 years of your life uh, and marriage in the span of of a few minutes or a few hours. And it's kind of an overwhelming task if you, you think about it from that perspective. There's no way we can know about every argument, every financial decision, every this and that. But one of the ways that you can help us help you is by preparing everything, mm-hmm. is, is getting all of your documentation. We've talked about tax return, retirement statements, information about your home, if there's a mortgage, second mortgage, understanding your expenses, uh, things about the kid's school, if there are any medical issues, which is a big uh, issue, or disabilities, mm-hmm. or anything that's unique about your situation that one might not think to ask or know about. And if all of that stuff is organized, either electronically or in a physical binder, and you show up to your attorney's office or you show up to to my office or email me or whatever the case may be, you say, I got all this stuff ready. 
can you look at it or, or can you help me? The answer is, of course, and not only is it, does it help everyone who's trying to help you, but it also can save tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees and chasing things down and, and trying to make sense of everything that's going on because it's all there for us. And so yeah. one of the, 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 you know, the first thing in the divorce process is the discovery process. And during that process, you're trying to figure out what assets exist, what they're worth, etc. But if you do a lot of that homework in advance, you can save yourself a lot of time and energy and money most of the time. And, and that's where, you know, I, I'd say the opposite is where things get a lot worse is imagine showing up to your attorney's office and not having a bank account statement, not knowing what banks you work in, not having a tax return. So you got to spend three weeks getting your tax returns. It's just the opposite makes things so messy, so bad and a disaster. It, it's, it's very frustrating trying to, to navigate that process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it, that would be like, I don't know, going to a, a doctor's appointment and not having your medical records or not having totally. knowledge of, right. There's, they're just, you really, really, really need to, yes, all of that needs to be gotten together before your first appointment. And like I said, this checklist is amazing, right? Like it's, it's, it's really in depth and, and super helpful. So in getting organized, you know, you talk about the, well, the checklist is in there. You guys can do, <laughs> you guys can, you guys can figure There's it out. There's a lot. I mean, you know, everyone has the, the more important part about the checklist is there's obvious stuff that, you know, you could probably do a quick search and figure out, okay, I need my tax returns. That that's easy. But there's some less obvious accounts that if you start looking at the checklist, you'll say like, oh, I remember seeing that three years ago. Maybe we have one of these. Or, yeah. oh, I think there's this kind of pension account. Or, oh, there's this. Or, or oh, I didn't think about getting my car loan statement. Uh, or, you know, there is that... I think we took a home equity line. I don't know if there's money outstanding on it or not, or I just remember a conversation about it. There's lots of little things that you might not think about mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. are worth jogging your memory with, with the, the checklist. And, and most people find some things they would have forgotten about otherwise. Even when I look at it, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot I had that account because I have a account. Oh yeah, <laughs> got this account there that I don't look at very often. Right. Should probably list that out on my, my, my sheet if I were. So that, that's, that's kind of the bigger purpose too. Right. Yes. Yeah. So speaking of bigger purpose, number four is keep the big picture in mind. What do you, so, so this is sort of what we were talking about before, which is like, what do you, what do you want? Right. You start this section with saying with the, the Yogi, the Yogi Berra quote, if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up someplace else. Right. So right. this is what we were talking about before, right. About having a plan or having a, having a vision for yourself. Right. This is like life coaching 101, guys. This is this is visioning. <laughs> yeah, it is. And but but a lot of people are so well, another one of my favorite quotes is you can't see the, the forest mm-hmm. for the trees is that you're so focused on what's in front of you that you're missing the greater context. Right. And look, the divorce process for the majority of people is going to be a year or two not going to necessarily be the most fun year or two of their life might be the worst. However, in a year or two, it will be over. And if you're, if you're in your fifties and you're statistically going to live till 80 something, 
that means you have another 30 years afterwards that you need to be thinking mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. Or if you're in your, I've worked with people in their late 60s or early 70s, even then you might have 15 or 20 years to be thinking about when this process is over. Or, you know, I talked to someone who was in their 30s today who was getting divorced. And it's like, all right, well, we got to focus on the next 50 years for this particular person. Now, of course, they have some time to make things up. But the point is, is that this is in the grand blips of your life just going to be a blip, yeah. a note on the timeline. And when you're thinking about this process, you want to keep the rest of the timeline and the rest of your life in mind, because that's really all that that's, that's what's going to matter when this is I over. So, you know, I so feel that. And I, and I know that this is a slightly off topic, but I just love that you said that because it, it really also calls to mind people who sort of have a negative, that negative intimacy piece where they want to, where they make things harder than they have to be because it keeps the connection right? Even if it's a negative connection, it keeps the connection, right? To be that like aggressive or, but to be combative in the, you know, just for the sake of being combative, which, which sort of holds that intimacy, it holds you together. Right. And it's like, it could just be a, a blip on your timeline, as you said, but the more negative energy you put into this, the bigger of a blip it's going to be, right? The, the more space it's going to take up energetically, on your timeline. And you're right. Like you've got another 50 years to live beyond this. Like, let's just have it be the blip that it is. Let's do it right. Let's be smart, but let's not. Yeah. But, but that's exactly right. So, and, and where that comes into play a lot of times is, you know, I, I review a lot of settlement agreements and people will say, is this fair? Do we need to make some changes? And, you know, sometimes you'll say, well, this person, you might be giving up X amount of dollars that you could probably fight for and get back. But really, in the grand scheme of 30 or 40 years, do you want to be fighting over $10,000? Yeah, I'm not going to say that $10,000 isn't a lot of money or some people that number is $100,000, whatever. Yeah, for sure. Is, is it worth getting as good an agreement as you can? Well, to a point. But how much energy are you going to focus on to fight this out for another six months over little things and ultimately hurt your potential relationship in the future, relationship with the kids and, and co-parenting and, and just being able to move on with your life and get this burden lifted? Is it really, really how important is it? Five more rounds of negotiations on a small point, or can you just say, Hey, let's just call it a day and, and, uh, move on and, and, just make it easy. Why, why make it harder exactly. than it has to be? Exactly. Exactly. How important is it? I think we already covered number five, understand your expenses, right? We sort of mm -hmm. yep, we talked yep. about that because those are, oof, man, I'm just scrolling through this now too. I'm like, oh my God, there's so many expenses. This goes on for pages and pages. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I will yeah. say when it comes to expenses is for a lot of people listening if you've been a stay-at-home mom, for example, all of this can feel very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. uh, I talk to a lot of people who may have never looked at the finances in their life. And all of a sudden, you're trying to gather up all of these statements and you're being diligent, and, but, but you don't even know what it means when you see... When you see Roth IRA on an account, you're like, what's a Roth? What's an IRA? you might not know what all of this is. That's okay. You're thinking about your expenses and all of a sudden you're thinking about 
500 different numbers and, and you know, your head starts spinning. I, I get that some people just are not mathematically inclined. And I say, that's mm-hmm. okay. Don't worry. Do what you can. But this, particularly when it comes with a lot of the financial things, I keep a stack with me wherever I go, a blank white printer paper. And if someone starts talking about their expenses, I say, let's just do it by hand. Yeah, right. Let's do approximations. Like we don't, we don't have to make, we can get to the fancy spreadsheets Mm -hmm. later. That's fine. But I, if you were to ask me what my expenses are right now, I would take my stack of printer paper. I carry with me everything, everywhere, grab a pen. I would say, all right, well, my, my monthly payment on the house is this. Um, My car payment is this. My insurance payment for my car is this, my blah, blah, blah. And I would just, map it out by hand. And I'd say, okay, I spend approximately, and I'm going to make up this number. I, I, I spend approximately $6,000 mm-hmm. a month um, or $6,200 a month. And then I would say, okay, well, I know what I make. And let's just say for sake of example, it's 10,000 mm-hmm. a month. So, but, but that's it. Like, you know, I just did it by hand. I was like, all right, well, I make about this. Or if I were a stay at home parent, I would say, okay, well, if I spend $6,200 a month and I don't have income at the moment, well, what would I, what would it look like if I got support? Would support cover it for, and for how long or would I need to get a job? And then how much could I earn if I got a job? Could I make Mm -hmm. $80,000 a year? Could I make $40,000 a year? Could I make $200,000 a year? I don't know. I'm just making up numbers, but all it starts with is some very, very basic, just pen and paper, let's get some rough idea for some things and keep it simple. Like I I keep all the numbers very, 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 very Mm. simple. Even though there's a lot of volume of things you could think about, it's all just take a pen, sheet of paper. You don't even need a calculator or maybe you do, but you don't really, if you, if you need a bunch of calculators and calculations, you're doing right. Right. And I I love the idea that I love that you suggest this first because we actually probably know far more than we think we do anyway. Right. It's like always, always, You start Always. thinking about it, even and especially if you're talking to somebody else, they're like, well, do you have Netflix or do you have this or do you have that, right? People start thinking about their own expenses. And I mean, we all have similar expenses at the end of the day, or base expenses for sure, right? And then it goes from there. And even if we don't know, it's like, uh, is my car payment like, you know, $242.78 or is it like 250 bucks? That's fine, right? That's enough, right? That's good enough, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like if you, that's a perfect example. If you're like, if it's 226, you'd be just like, ah, I think it's around 250. Like, I don't, I couldn't tell you. I get pretty close to most of my expenses, yeah. but like, I still would have to approximate. I'm like, I don't know exactly, exactly what they are, but right. yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's all you have to do. And, and that's the goal is to get a feel. It's not to know with precision what everything is. It's to say, all right, am I going to have enough money? And I was talking to someone the other day and they have a real complicated financial picture. And I said, look, at the end of the day, all you need to know is this when this process is over. Is your income going to be greater than your expenses? Right. That's, and do you have some money for an emergency? Like, that's it. <laughs> like if you're, you're making more than you spend and you have something stocked away for the event of an emergency, and this happens to be one of those times where people are losing their jobs and and as we record this, you know, the unemployment rate shot up and, and there's a lot of uncertainty, but this is definition of emergency time. Yeah, really. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is that rainy day. <laughs> but if, you know, yeah, it, it, but it's like all of finance, no matter how fancy you make it, pretty much boils down to income and expenses and having some cash saved up for when you don't, when you need it. Exactly. 
Exactly. Right. Literally. It's an, and, and so, okay. So what if the answer was no, those numbers don't add up. Then we got to start making some decisions. That's why we do it is so now, you know, mm-hmm. you know that you're not going to be able to live exactly the same as you are living now. Right. And you have to make some decisions. Sometimes it'll be easy. Sometimes it'll be hard. You know, I know a lot of a common example is you live in a nice house and the whole family lives in this very nice house and maybe it's a nice four bedroom mm-hmm. house, but one or one or, you know, the kids are off to college and it's just been you and your spouse and that house also costs a lot every month and you're spending a few extra thousand dollars on that mortgage that you don't need to. And you're going to, as much as you love the house because of the memories and it's in a good neighborhood and everything else. When we start looking at the financial picture, you just can't right. keep it. Like I never say it in a, I, I try and be very sensitive to that, but if the numbers don't add up, the numbers don't add up. And this kind of goes back to one of the first points, which is you got to face reality head on. We're starting to figure out what the reality is. And the new reality is you're not, you're going to go bankrupt if you stay in this house for another three years, five years. Is it really Mm -hmm. worth it? And that's something, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's something I always, I say over and over and over and over and over again for to stay at home moms in particular who are fighting to keep the house. They want the house because you know, they are the ones who are, are there. It's the one, it's the house, you know, they, they're home with the kids all the time. And it is the number, I think the number one financial mistake that women make is fighting for the house that they literally will not be able to afford. And I take it one step further. And, and as I said, I like to think about the big yeah. picture is my default recommendation for almost everyone is and there's there's exceptions to this but there's a good reason it's much better to be cash rich and asset poor than asset rich and mm. cash poor because if you have a bunch of stuff physical stuff could be homes cars uh, multiple homes whatever and you don't have any cushion for when money is not coming in consistently that can put you in a position of a world of hurt of which a lot of people are in versus Hey, you know, you don't have that ca- you don't have that big house anymore, but you got tons of liquid assets. Now you can make you have the freedom, the flexibility to make whatever financial decision you want to make and not be physically, you know, not have the handcuffs of a of physical things to to keep you stuck in a position. I mean, for all the people and, and I don't, you know, I, I don't want to pretend as if I'm blaming anyone when I make this statement, but if you are in a position, just given the timing of when we're recording yeah. this, where all of a sudden you lost your job and you didn't have that cash cushion saved up because you took the house, for example, and, and you've been barely being able to make your payments and all of a sudden you can't make any payments, that could have been prevented mm-hmm. in a lot mm-hmm. of ways by knowing your expenses, having a bigger cash cushion and, and living living more within one's means than they could. Now, as I say, I don't want to make a judgment. There's a lot of, a lot of different considerations when I make that statement. But for people who I've worked with over time, I've almost always said, take as much cash as you can get, keep as little stuff that you can't sell immediately, and you will just have that cushion for emergencies. Because even when the economy is good, 
you're going through divorce. Your life is changing. Like you don't know if there are so many expenses that you've never thought about before. There's so many uh, lifestyle changes you're considering. It's, it makes the whole process. I'm never going to say it's easy, but easier when you don't have to worry about next month's bill or you have six months of cushion to, to work with versus when you're in a position that you only got 30 days and then you're in a world of hurt. Yep. And so, um, that's, that's kind of the point of, of all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like amen to all of it, to all of it. I think it's so important. And I, and I see people right now going through this in my own life, friends, family members who have lived really sort of luxurious, expensive lifestyles. And then suddenly this is happening and they're not working and it's like, Oh shit. And they don't have anything. And it's like, well, (laughs) you have so much, you know, for so long. And it's really important. And I'm, you know, because the shit does hit the fan. We always like to pretend that that rainy day isn't going to happen or that emergency that we're saving in our emergency fund isn't going to happen, but we're here. Yeah. And, and, you know, it all happened within a 30 day period. Lord. Right. But that's kind of the point is we never know what the emergency is going to be. A lot of people, it might be an illness not related to coronavirus, or you might lose your job under normal conditions for any number of reasons. Companies still have gone bankrupt every year from the beginning of time or get acquired or, or whatever the case may be. And so it's always good to think about these what if situations when it comes to your future planning and what makes you more comfortable? I mean, there's a lot of comfort in knowing that you don't have to rush, particularly mm-hmm. when it comes to a divorce settlement. And you don't have to worry about next month's payment because you sold the house or you took a buyout of the house and you downsized to a different different property and you kind of lived a little bit more modestly than you were accustomed to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. There's something that, that, that has stuck with me for, I think, since I got divorced, which is I sort of had this idea when I got divorced that my son, like I needed to have like the same... Uh, my house needed to be the same as my ex's, right? Like we needed to have something on par, like the same level. And a friend of mine at the time said to me, you know what? When my parents got divorced, my dad kept the, I guess it was his dad kept, that doesn't matter who, what, one, of his, one of his parents kept the, the beautiful big house that, that he was used to. And he's like, and my mom got an apartment. And, but you know what? It had a pool. So, you know, it didn't, it didn't matter. It's like, it was different. It didn't have to be the same, but we found things to love about each place. And that always stuck with me as being so like, they don't have, they don't need to be the same. Right. That, that, that your memories and the memories that you make there and your heart and where you are, that's what matters. It has nothing to do with the size of the house or the stuff you have. Totally. 100%. 100%. Yeah, I I agree completely. Okay. So moving on to number six. Sure. And I think this is, I actually found this really interesting because I do this with my clients, but I love that you recommend this from a financial perspective. And I'm curious about it, which is to create a marital history. So why do you recommend to create this timeline and this and this history of your entire marriage? I mean, you'd go from, you know, education, health, employment, real estate, right? All of these things. Like, why? Why, from a financial perspective, do you want this history? 
Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty easy in terms of why we need it. One thing I've said before, which is we're starting from scratch. When you contact me, uh, you contact your attorney, you contact, we don't know anything about you. Don't know <laughs> anything. And this is a very quick way once it's prepared to get a feel for what has been happening. The other thing that's relevant is a lot of times you can start figuring out, well, what does the, what might be the most appropriate way to proceed in the future? You know, if we know your spouse has tendencies to overcomplicate issues or is going to fight about every little detail, I would say, okay, we're not going to change that about him or her when this process is, is going on but at least we know what to expect and we might negotiate accordingly. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it, it's really just another way for us to, I mean, it can be helpful for a variety of reasons for you, but another way for us to understand, all right, well, you've been married for 27 years. What the hell happened during that time? And what do we need to know about that led us to today? And you know, how can we best help you in the future given what we know about your past? Mm-hmm. Got it. I mean, I think it's smart. I think it's great, right? Because I think it, I, I like that you blend. You're not, it just sort of feels like it's a more holistic approach, which I, which I appreciate. Okay. This is really important. Number seven, because I hear this all the time in my Facebook group. I have a Facebook group with thousands of women in it. And I hear this all the time. Number seven, keep your spouse from spying on you. Holy shit. Yeah. It's a tough one. It's a really tough one. Here's the deal. I mean, there's a level of tech savviness that may be required for this one, but it's worth learning. But if I were going to say at a minimum, if you're cool with phones, get another phone, get Mm. a new phone just for divorce stuff and get a new email account. And don't just load the apps that you had. I was going to say, so if you have an iPhone normally, get an Android phone. If you get an Android, you get, or if you have an Android normally, get an iPhone. If you usually use Gmail, get a Yahoo account. If you use Yahoo normally, I'm giving use up AOL. my iPhone, Sean. Like, <laughs> That's just how good we're you know, Well, here's the problem is, yeah. is if you have an iPhone account and you use one thing that overlaps, well, maybe that photo or maybe that email all of a sudden loads on all your iDevices and yeah. your well, packet, not, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's easy. I just, to, I just had, it is easy to get in trouble. I just had someone post in my Facebook group that all of a sudden all their notes are gone. They've been keep, and they've been doing their documentation in their notes on their iPhone. And of course that backs up to the iCloud. And if you share an iCloud account with your ex, guess what? Yes. And that shit is dangerous. But I was talking about the apps because a lot of people install the, the mirroring apps or whatever so that mm-hmm. they have a, are actually tracking everything that's happening on the phone in real time, right? So if you just get a new phone and then you just load all the apps that you had on your phone, you might have a hidden app that you don't even know about. Yeah, no, no. That, this is why I start fresh. I use different operating. So I'm, I'm really into technology for one, but I would use at a minimum different phone. Don't use one thing that is the same. You might have to learn something new. You don't have yeah. to overcomplicate it, right? Like, but as separate as you can make things, the better. Yep. And don't overlap on phone, email, mailing address. If you can get stuff sent to a friend 
uh, or to an office or to whatever. Get a P.O. box. House. P.O. Mm-hmm. box is easy to mm-hmm. set up in the span of an afternoon. Any Anything that someone might communicate, use to communicate with you, like a phone these days is not expensive. Uh, even a cheap laptop, uh, a Chromebook or something is not expensive. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to set all of this stuff up and very cheap. It's worth it for your privacy sake. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've had clients um, who's uh, soon to be exes or spouses have put tracking devices on their cars. Yeah. Like, no, you, you got to know this shit. It's, it's horrible, but you got to know it. Yeah. All right. Number eight, court sucks. Avoid it if you can. <laughs> my, my listeners, by the way, have heard me say this like a bazillion times. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I think the title says it all. Yeah. The litigation system is not your friend necessarily. No. And Hollywood doesn't make it easy on us. We all have this vision in our head of of going in front of court and we have our powerful lawyers and they argue it out and there's going to be this super fair judge and it's going to oh, be yeah, this no. big dramatic sequence and everyone's going to get heard. It's It's nothing like what you think it's going to be. It's pretty boring. It's not going to be pleasant. And the judge has 10,000 things on their plate. You're a few minutes worth or a few hours worth of the many other things they have to do. Yeah. And and by the way, if you think they're reading your long case history, even if, if you've been to no. court a hundred times and have a really long case history, if you think they're reading that shit before you get in front of them, they're not. I've, I mean, I've experienced it personally. They're not. And judges are people. I mean, they're people. They're busy. Yeah. They're Most are overworked. And the other thing that's crazy is on top of all of that is most places you could have one of 10 different judges and you could get 10 completely different outcomes, even under the same laws, same attorneys, same courts, but just different judges who have different biases or different ways they interpret the law. And, and it's just a gamble. Avoid it. It's expensive. It's not pleasant. Yes. Yes. That's all there we, really is. We agree about. on that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, number nine, I think this is super important. Stay involved in your process. Big one. A lot of people think that their attorney is going to do everything. <sighs> and I think your attorney is an essential person in this process, but you're still in charge. It's still your life. And guess what? Who's going to have to live with the decisions that the attorney makes? Right. You are. <laughs> and so you can't just say, you know, let's just say you follow steps one through eight, you get all your documentation, you got this grand plan, you've written a book about your life, you know what you want. And then you say, go do it, attorney. And the attorney is going to come back and you're going to look at the, the best example is you're going to look at every settlement agreement I've ever read, the very first draft that the attorneys put together for you. You're going to read it and you're going to be like, this isn't what we talked about. Like it might have the rough points of what you discussed, but it's never what you intended. Even with the best attorney, the most information and the best circumstances, you're still going to be like, no, no, this this isn't, this isn't right. Um, And so you can't, and and that's under the best of circumstances, much less if you, you know, if, if the circumstances are imperfect for any reason. So I strongly suggest that you stay involved at, at all stages of the the process, and you know, st- you know, keep keep on it. 
sometimes you just want to know what deadlines are coming up. Yeah. Uh, I had an issue just last week and I, I talked to this person today, uh, again, right before speaking with you is this person emailed me on, I talked to them a few times before and they emailed me on Wednesday and they said, we need to talk today. And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm really busy. I can't really talk today. What's the deal? Or no, I'm sorry. They emailed me on Thursday and they said, I have to sign my settlement agreement on Friday. Otherwise, something is going to happen. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. We talked just a few weeks ago. Why, why all of a sudden the rush? Mm. I was like, and why didn't you know about this? Yeah. And well, this person was not involved in the process. And I was like, look, I can't talk to you today, unfortunately, just because I'm busy. This doesn't make any sense. You need to get an answer from your attorney and make them extend it. They can't hold you hostage because you weren't involved and, and you weren't notified. But all could have easily been prevented if, if this person was a involved and their attorney was also keeping them involved in the process rather than on Thursday morning saying, Hey, I have to have your final comments by Thursday afternoon. This person works actually. She's a teacher. So she had to you yeah, know, do, right. do school, school, virtual school all day and need the comments by Thursday afternoon. So you can sign on Friday. Like that's a, an example of a lot of mistakes were about to have been made on many people's parts because wasn't involved, wasn't on top of things. And this sort of points to a bunch of things, a bunch of things that come up as you're talking about the situation. Number one, it sort of circles back to number one, which is don't keep your head in the sand, right? So yeah. that's sort of like, right? So there's that. And and it's and it's true. Like sometimes these things are fucking overwhelmingly emotional and we don't want to deal with them. And the way that we do it is by just like, ah, la, 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 right? But that doesn't help. It doesn't serve anybody. And the other thing is that I think that it's really important for us to remember, for people to remember that this is your process. This is your process. So if you need more time, you tell them you need more time and you get more time. And your attorney works for you. This is your divorce. Your attorney works for you. You pay them. So if you need more time, you pay them to go negotiate more time, right? Like do not feel like, and a lot of, I think a lot of people do feel like, somehow like they're getting in trouble with their attorney or, right? And it's like, no, 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 no. You are in power. This person works for you. If you're not comfortable yet, you put the brakes on it. You, you get to say, right? This is your process. That's right. Damn it. <laughs> that's right. No, I mean, that, that's, that's right on. Yeah. You're, you're the one who, you know, I, I was also talking to someone today who was going to be paying, let's just say $150,000 more than they needed to. And their attorney was like, well, you should just pay it. And I was like, well, why? Easy for them to say. Because <laughs> they aren't writing the check. Right. Like, you know, it's like, uh, they aren't the one who has to live with the consequences, good or bad of the decision this person's going to make. And so, you know, we have to take slightly different steps in that, that situation. But if they weren't involved, then you know, they would be facing a, a much higher bill than they need to pay. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Which brings us to number 10, get an experienced divorce attorney, which basically then you have an entire chapter on, but let's just, I mean, the one thing that I always say about attorneys, right. Is that again, they work for you. And that if you don't, if you don't feel comfortable with your attorney, if you don't feel like your attorney has your best interests in, at heart, like you could get another attorney right? You need to feel comfortable and confident that this person is on your team and is working for you and, and is also supporting you in, in, in the way that you need to, you know, you don't want to feel brushed off, right? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I have a huge chapter on attorneys. I, I know and work with a lot of really, really good ones. I know, but don't work with a lot of not so good ones. Mm -hmm. 
the attorneys are no different than any profession on earth. There are people who are really good at their job and there are people who are not so good at their job. And, and there's no uniform good attorney for every situation too. I know some great attorneys who just aren't a good fit for certain situations, yep. but I think you nailed it. I, I do think the, the one thing I will say is even if you want to do things amicably, no fighting, whatever, the, the ideal situation, as I say it, you still should have an attorney look over everything. Make sure you're not missing anything. Make sure you're not selling yourself short. Yes. Yes. Agreed. In the worst case scenario where this is going to be a long protracted fight, make sure that attorney is, you know, I don't want to say fighting for you, but certainly advocating for you and, and working towards, as you said, your best interest and getting you in the best position possible, or at least trying to get you in the best position possible. And, you know, you want to, you want to feel like they're working for you and, and on your side. I mean, that's, that's the most important point. And a lot of people don't feel that. Yeah. And if you don't, then you should do something about it. And the other thing you can do is you can get a second opinion, right? So sometimes, sometimes you don't have to go all the way down the road of switching attorneys, but Sometimes they say like, hey, you know, I, I might say something or you, you might express a concern about your attorney. I'll say, hey, why don't you talk to one other attorney? Just book an initial consultation. It might be worth the 350 bucks or 500 bucks or whatever the, the, the attorney says, just to see if your current attorney is on the right track or you really do need to make a change. Yes. Yes. It, it's tough, though, picking an attorney. I mean, it just is. Um, there's a lot of complications to it, but you do want someone who's working for you. Yeah. And, you know, and I think it's, it's also, you also want the right attorney for your particular situation, right? I, I, I'm always, I think there's a, there's a, there's a balance here, right? You want to hire, you want, you want someone who's not going to turn this into a litigation nightmare on your quote behalf. And if you're in a situation where your spouse is combative and turning this into a litigation nightmare, you want someone who can meet that playing field. Like, and that might mean a shift, right? Because if you're going into this thinking, I can do this collaboratively and, you know, or, or mediating or whatever, and then your spouse turns into, a, you know, a holy nightmare or their attorney is turning into a holy nightmare, you might need to, you might need to switch gears. I've had a, I've, I've at least one client whose ex-spouse became a holy nightmare. And I finally said, I don't think your attorney can handle what, what is coming down the line. And she ended up talking to her attorney and her attorney said, I don't, I, this, I can't, this is definitely not in my wheelhouse. And so she ended up coming on as like a co-counsel with a shark. I was like, mm -hmm. I think you're going to need a shark. And I don't, and I don't advocate for that at all. But in this situation, she needed a fucking shark. And the other attorney came on as co-counsel with the shark so that she could sort of, you know, because she knew the case and knew the history for as long. So there's that balance, right? You want to make sure that you have someone who's not going to create a fight. But if you're going to go into a fight, you want someone who can hold their ground in that fight. Yeah. And there, there's different styles when it comes to attorneys. I mean, I know some, some very nice, very pleasant attorneys, personable people who are fierce advocates for their clients. And I know some others who are just like to cause a mess of things. It's, it's really trying to find the best fit for yeah. you. And I, I do have a long chapter in the book of a lot of different intricacies of, of picking an attorney, but you want someone you're comfortable with. You want someone who thinks who's competent. Right. 
and you think can do a good job mm-hmm. for you. And, and uh, one of the things I always just toss out as a, as a look for is if someone has reviews about them online, check out what the reviews Absolutely. say. Absolutely. Yelp there's, is your there's friend. There's reviews online. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's reviews about attorneys that are like, took me five emails before they ever returned my call or, or didn't get the, the deadline or, or this, you know, kind of watch out for some of those things before making your selection. But picking an attorney is very yeah. hard. There's a lot to it. But I do think regardless of the circumstances, you should you should have one for for a part or, or all of, of your process. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think we have covered a, a lot. lot. And I just, and so, you know, I think obviously your book is gold and everybody should be, um, should be getting your book. So, because the other thing that you have in, in your, in your uh, chapter on attorneys is a checklist of things to ask them, right? When you first meet with them. So that's super important. And you also have a podcast yourself about all of this. So divorce and your, divorce money. And your money podcast, y'all you hear that? Yeah. There's 200 and some episodes. I forget the exact number, 215, 220. Amazing. A lot of a lot of episodes on all of these financial issues. I try and make it as easy as possible, take it in really small chunks and just give you a perspective on everything that you should be thinking about. Uh, in addition to the book, some people like to read, some people like to listen. I actually like audio more than writings, me personally. So so I, I love doing the podcast and listening to the and, and recording it. And it's a conversational style similar to this on, on all of the many, many topics uh, as it applies to divorce and money. Awesome. Sean, where can everyone find you? Divorceandyourmoney.com. <laughs> He's very brand consistent. <laughs> real easy. Yeah, real easy. No need to overcomplicate <laughs> an already tough situation. That's great. Divorce and your money. You're going to find the podcast. You're going to find the book. You're going to find Sean. You're going to find everything you need. Sean, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about divorce and your money. Well, Kate, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed Thanks. it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.